Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and I had lots of stuff lined up to talk to you about. Uh, I tried to do a little research based on what's going on in the world today, and also what's going on in my life, and what's going on in the network, and and different uh, topics constantly coming up. My son happened to be traveling in Iceland this week, uh, going, headed to Sweden, and he wrote me and said that I should talk about all thing, which is, uh, all being, which is a place, uh, assembly field that was ancient in the days Iceland was uh, originally settled by the Scandinavians. They, uh, formed a government. Because I talk about a government lot, lots of time because Christ talked about government a lots of times. As a matter of fact, the Bible is mostly about government. Bad governments, good governments. Basically, what it's talking about is how we govern ourselves. And a lot of times, we govern ourselves through the government. The governments of the world. But Christ's kingdom is not of that world. It's of the, it's on the planet. It's here. It's for the living. But it's not of the world of Pontius Pilate or other worlds like that because the word they use there is constitutional order or system of government, not the word for planet. But we translate it world and so people sometimes misidentify what Jesus was saying. Like, oh, well, his kingdom's not of this world. It's not here. It's for after we die. But Jesus says it's not for after you die. It's for the living. And uh, I actually was looking just before the show began, I was looking at a statement of faith by a particular group. I know some of the people in that group. It's uh, it's actually a, a camp area that's uh, way up north of here, but uh, it's sponsored by a somewhat local church group. And I know some of the people in it. I know their parents. I and uh, some of the workers there, and they have a statement of faith. And I was going to go over that maybe a little bit later, but maybe we should start with that. We are going to talk about the all thing, and we're going to talk about tithing, and we're going to talk about taxes, and we're going to talk about, uh, let's see, some of the other topics that come up. But eventually we're going to talk about portals, and uh, realms and dimensions. Um, I saw Eric Weinstein uh, publish something, uh, the portal story. And uh, a portal is a gate. And a lot of people, who, when we talk about a lot of these things, because it's so different, the, the presentation of the Bible that we see is so different than what a lot of people are used to hearing. And our our comments on government, our comments on what Christ was teaching. I mean, we're supposed to be teaching what Christ taught. But what most people are teaching as uh, the teachings of Christ are extremely lacking in some of the very basic fundamentals of Christianity. I just, somebody just sent me a hour and 42 minutes talking about, uh, I should look and see who sent that. Um, talking about, uh, you know, not fooling around anymore, getting down to the nitty gritty of Christ's teachings and 
and how important it is to get our uh, doctrine straight because we're condemning ourselves because our doctrine is not right. And then he, he evidently was going to go on and on about the Sabbath, that you have to count these seven days and get to the Sabbath. And it's a complete distraction. It's an absolutely false distraction. You know, Saturday, Sunday. It's not what the Sabbath is about. It's not about counting days. It's about the same thing that Christ was teaching, which was living and going away. And uh, just in a few minutes after I closed that video, when I realized what the guy was talking about, because people get a feeling of self-righteousness because the original, you know, I mean, I was in a auto parts store and, and uh, the guy said that, uh, so you guys are open on, uh, you're not open on the Sabbath and he, uh, Sunday, so you keep the Sabbath and somebody said something about that not being the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is the seventh day and, and, uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, he he went on. As they were just casually talking. Nobody was actually preaching, but they were just kind of joking around. And uh, he says, "But Sunday is the last day of the week." I said, "I said not on any calendar I've ever seen." <laughs> I did. That was all I got into the discussion at that point. Uh, and he looked up at a calendar that was there on the wall with auto parts uh, pictures and. And there it was. Saturday was the seventh day of the week. It's the last day of the week. Sunday is actually the first day of the week. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I never thought about it. <laughs> so that was the end of that biblical study right there at the counter of the uh, auto parts store. But it is true that Saturday is the seventh day of the week, as most people count them. In reading about the all thing... I was noticing that one of the first things they did besides, uh, well, I won't tell you the first thing they did, but one of the second things they did was change the names of all the weeks, all the days of the week, uh, because they didn't want people using those pagan names. They wanted to use these other names. And of course, uh, so they, they were changing that and it still, you know, they still, in, in Iceland, they still go by some of those ancient names. We actually do as well. But uh, those are all, that really isn't the essence of what Christ came to talk about. I mean, if you actually read Christ's words, the red letter Bible, so to speak, what he was talking about was a lot different than what everybody else is talking about in modern churches. He was actually condemned because his... Followers didn't seem to be create, uh, keeping the Sabbath. But of course, like I said, the Sabbath is about a way. It's about being out of debt. It's about earning your rest by working first. And, and so many people are counting days. So, that, and, and then getting a feeling of self-righteousness because they're keeping the seventh day. You know, using this calendar or that calendar, sometimes the more complex it is, the more self-righteous they feel because we do this ritual thing. But they're in debt up to their ears. The, their governments are in debt and they're surety for the debt of their government because they take the benefits of their government and they're signed up to take the benefits of their government. Whether they take them or not 
is really irrelevant. And a lot of people think that they get a feeling of self-righteousness because they're not in the system. You know, somebody just wrote about the Mark of the Beast article that we have. And uh, and we've told, uh, you know, we explained it out pretty good. There's very seldom do we ever get any kind of argument about it. Except that people don't want to believe it. <laughs> that's that's the argument. They don't want to believe that that's true. But uh, it's it's very clear and very self-evident. If people read it casually, they'll often uh, miss uh, some things because they have so many preconceived notions. But it's pretty laid out as to what the mark of the beast is. And most people have it. But they're not condemned because the Bible doesn't say anything about being condemned because you have the mark of the beast. It means that you will be tested and that there will be difficulties, fire and brimstone, etc., that will come and you'll be tested because you have the mark of the beast. Uh, It's the prophets of the beast, the people promoting it. Well, those guys may be condemned, but they may be tested too and get a chance to repent. But uh, the reality is it's already here. It, the original Mark of the Beast was back in the days of Nero. And now we have a new system. And we ask a bunch of questions in, in kind of a little sectioned off piece that I put in as an afterthought. And I, I say people, people uh, they seek excuses and distractions. And of course, that's what all these religious doctrines and get your doctrine in order is all about but uh, the truth is through covetous practices they have become a surety for debt and become merchandise and curse their children and on that page there's live links to articles about how you curse your children how you become merchandise how you become a surety for debt I went back and I redid the page for 2014 audios all our audios that we made in 2014 all our broadcasts are there. Pretty much all of them are there. Actually, some that we made when we were on the whirlwind tour, uh, they're up there. And I reorganized it so it's a little clearer according to topics. So you can just go down there and find it. And then because it has all the topics, you can do search engines and some of those audios will show up because of the keywords. I'd like to go back and put in a few more keywords with each recording. Because you're, as those who are familiar, I, I wander a little bit on a subject. I always come back to what we were originally talking about. But, uh, that way you can go back and find that. You know, I mean, I really think people should be reading that. And, and he was concerned, the person who pointed out the article thought it was great, but he thought that we kind of left people hanging. And he quoted this particular part, the, you know, the number 666 was, uh, supposed to be the number of a name and the curse could uh, uh, and of course that could be Nero because some people say it's Nero they say it's everything I actually used to have a joke up that I could prove that it was uh, uh, whatever that Barney the dinosaur because that actually works out too to 666 his name but uh, uh, but it was a ruler of Rome emperor of Rome and I have some live links to articles so you can check that out. But as you begin to discover all sorts of questions, you know, the truth, all sorts of other questions may arise. Did Nero commit suicide or fake his death? Did uh, 
he marry a Jewish princess and flee with a vast treasure as legend had it for centuries after his death uh, that Nero didn't actually die and there's a lot of evidence that he didn't actually die he wasn't stabbed by his cohort there who was enriched because of that but it was actually a double ganger uh, actor who often played the role of Nero in public events and uh, he was the one who was killed because I mean the last words he said the actor dies <laughs> and uh, and the, the man who killed him uh, made sure to stab him in the face a bunch of times uh, as he killed him because the mob was coming uh, for him I mean they were literally running down the street and he turned on the guy and started stabbing him in the face and then everybody said oh Nero is dead but it is actually believed by many for centuries that Nero escaped and hid treasure high up where he lived out his life with lots of his cohorts in distant valleys and uh, fertile valleys in the north. And somebody supposedly found some of those treasures and became very rich himself. So who is that? Well, I've talked about all this before in other radio broadcasts. And somewhere in the maze of these hundreds and hundreds of radio broadcasts, you can find it. <laughs> and I'll let the Holy Spirit lead you to that. Because that individual has many descendants who are very powerful and manipulative in government today. But anyway, uh, the beast represented Rome. Now, always beasts represented governments in prophecy. And represented Rome. So where is Rome today? Who is the rulers of Rome today? I mean, there's the Italian Rome, but did you know there's another Rome? We don't call it Rome, we call it something else. And uh, we've done shows on that and dropped those little hints and explained that. But none of that matters, which is the crux of what I eventually wrote. Uh, this and many more things may be addressed in, on the network and, of course, in the radio broadcast or in person, you know, like at the Bernie Bush Festival, which we have uh this end of August, 1st of September, out here in Summer Lake. Uh, so you, you might be able to ask me then, and I might tell you, at least some of it. But what's the point of telling you all these other little interesting uh, trivia notes about the kingdom if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded? And start to learn what it really means to love your neighbor as yourself by being a doer of the word, following the way of Christ. So, yeah, I don't reveal all these things in writings on the web. And, of course, you know, I sent them back a message uh, after uh, improving some of the links uh, on mysteries, the mystery of Babylon, the mystery of the universe. And, of course, Christ said... you. It's given unto you to know the mysteries, but not given unto them. Who's the them? It's the people out there in the congregations, those sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The apostles received special instructions, extra information, because they had extra duties, extra job. Uh, they needed to know more. And, but the the general individual out there Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, who is not an ordained minister of Christ, 
He doesn't need to know all these things. He needs to do what Christ said. Love one another as I have loved you and and uh, not covet your neighbor's goods and don't bear false witness and and take care of your family and take care of your neighbor and do this all through charity and not through force. You need to know all that. And if you haven't hankering to learn a little bit more, we, we're supposed to make disciples of all men. And the word disciples there is the word for student. Students of all men. So we'd be glad to teach you some of these things. But the idea of just putting them out on the internet so that anybody could go and see them, not a good idea. And Christ is very clear about that. Being careful that you not cast your pearls before swine. If I put it out on the internet, I don't know who's going to read it. So it's not out there. But it is in a maze of audios that... <laughs> Not as easily searchable as, uh, as, uh, you know, a web page, uh, with text. So anyway, what, uh, I said, you know, we're going back, we're kind of, kind of spiral around and, and look at some of these things that I was going to talk to you about. And, uh, like I said, one of them is, uh, this, uh, statement of faith that I came across. I was looking up this particular camp, uh, because of a number of reasons, but anyway, uh, I was talking to somebody who uh, doesn't send people to that camp because the poor kids are not always treated as well as the rich kids. <laughs> she supports the church that supports the camp. She sends kids to another camp that is much farther away. And she was asking me, you know, if I knew someone who could drive bus, and actually it I think I found somebody for who's a pastor down in another church south of here. Because I know a lot of these people and know of a lot of the, the people. And so I connected them. Personally, though, I don't think the kids who go to the Bible study will learn much about the Bible. Uh, because most of the preachers out here don't know much about the Bible. They don't know that the weightier matters that Christ preached was about tending to law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They have a very distorted view of the gospel. Some of them are really nice guys, uh, good people, uh, take care of their families. Some of them. All of them don't do that. I mean, I've known pastors who cheat on their wives <laughs> and lie to the people and bully the people and but they think they're believers in God because they have statements of faith like this this one. But they are actually workers of iniquity. And once you start understanding what God's government looks like, you'll find out that most of these preachers and pastors and most of the people in their congregations are actually workers of iniquity. Because they've become accustomed to living at the expense of others. They have no daily ministration. They do not take care of the widows and orphans of their society. They leave that to the governments of the world. Who exercise authority one over the other. Even though Christ said we were not to be like that. They are like that. And that of course is why they become merchandise. Why they curse their children with debt. Because they're not only they are surety for debt. But their children are a surety for that debt. And we see in the news that the debt is climbing rapidly. 
you know, the ticker tape going up constantly. And they're cursing their children with that debt because they have not repented. And they are not really seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God. They're seeking personal self-righteousness and what they feel. So they have a statement of faith that start out, starts out, We believe the Bible to be the inspired, infallible, and authoritative word of God. Well, I can accept that. But I do not believe that most people who read the Bible are inspired or nor are they infallible, nor are they very authoritative concerning the Word of God. Because they, I mean, the Pharisees read the Old Testament, but they didn't know Moses, according to Christ. So, what were they missing? So, if you read the New Testament, and you miss the same things, and are found doing the same thing that the Pharisees did, you're in a lot of trouble. Because you profess Christ, you say, Lord, Lord, but you do not do the things that he said. So, are you in that category of, you know, the goats over here that aren't doing, aren't following the shepherd? Their second part of their statement of faith is, we believe that there is one God, eternal, existent, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's interesting, but that never really states that exactly in the Bible, the way they just put it there. Uh, clearly, Christ is pre- praying to the Father. The Father and I are one. He is in me. I am in him. So they're in agreement. But he's also asking the Father if this cup can pass before me. You know, but if it be your will... Well, wait a minute. If you're the same, isn't it your will also... <laughs> So, so it, and of course they all admit this Trinitarian approach is a mystery and nobody quite understands it. So I'm not sure how you believe in something you don't understand. Because you may think you're believing in this thing and you're actually believing in that thing, but you don't understand it so you don't really know what you're believing. You're, what they're saying is they believe in this phraseology because they don't understand what they're really talking about. Yeah, the Holy Spirit of the Father, whatever the Father is. I mean, that even is a heuristic term, the Father, God the Father. You know, I mean, he's known by many names according to the Old Testament. And when Moses wanted to know what his name was, uh, you know, he says, I am that I am. He doesn't, who named him? He doesn't have a name. So, but we all want to have a name on things. We want to have a label on them. So we give them a, a label. But the fact that he's the father means that he's the creator. Just the same as your father is the creator of you. But anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what's the next thing in his statement about their statement of faith? What they believe in, so to speak. Well, he goes on. So... You know, just to finish up with the Trinity thing, people wonder why I don't write about the Trinity. Well, the word Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible anywhere. There is so much man-made doctrine around that idea that they admit that they don't understand. It's just a mystery. You have to accept it. Well, look, I believe that the Holy Spirit, when I say Holy Spirit, I'm talking about the Spirit, the separate Spirit of God. It's a unique Spirit. 
And I believe of God as a creator, a, a creator of heaven and earth, the, the creator of the law of nature, a creator of everything around us, uh, that he is the source of right reason. And I believe that Christ was one with him and he was in Christ and Christ uh, prays to the Father to send the Comforter, which is supposedly the Holy Spirit. And so they're, they're consistently all doing the same thing. They're all of the same spirit, all of the same source. And uh, there's a uniformity in, in that the reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Other than that, I'm not, not gonna get into this Trinitarian stuff because Christ didn't get into it. And I'm preaching Christ first, last, and always. So, let's focus on that and not, see, the problem with creating these statements of faith is that people believe in the statement, but not in the Creator. They, they believe in an image, they're, they're literally constructing an image of God with these statements of faith. Now, they may have a place, and they may be interesting to take a look at them. But if the Father is not in you, if the Holy Spirit is not in you, then what you say you believe is absolutely of no value. And it actually will make you a liar. And Christ warns about this over and over and over again. You know, I added to our page on on warnings. Because <laughs> all the apostles warned you. What were they warning you about? People were going to think that the Holy Spirit was entering into them. And they were acting according to the Holy Spirit. But it actually was not the Holy Spirit. It was an unholy spirit. And they were doing bad things. And so how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or it's not the Holy Spirit? By what you do. And what you do tells us. And so... When I look out in the world and I see the whole world has gone back into the bondage of Egypt, they've been entangled again in the yoke of that bondage, they have become merchandise through covetous practices, they have cursed their children through those same covetous practices, and they have become surety for debt, which we see on the, uh, you know, on, you can go on the web and see it just rising constantly. And you hear about it every year because the government's constantly running out of money. Your government, wherever you are, Australia, Canada, China, whatever, they're all operating on borrowed money. So none of them are keeping the Sabbath because they're all operating in debt. And so, where does that put you? Where, where What do you really believe in? Did you tell me you believe in this thing? these ideas, but do you? He says, we believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you've got several words there. Deity, Lord, Christ. Jesus' name wasn't Christ. Christ means anointed. It means he's the king. He was the head of Judea, the head of the government, and all the Jews who followed Christ eventually were called Christians, but at that time they were just called Jews. And the apostles were all working in the capital city in the major government building called the temple daily, rightly dividing bread from house to house, providing a daily ministration to take care of all the widows and orphans in a government of which Jesus Christ was king. 
even after Jesus left, these are the apostles he appointed the kingdom to. Now, you go down to your church, who's taking care of the daily ministration? The government of the world. Chances are your church is a 501c3 corporation that is applied to the IRS through a 1023 form. Yeah, all those things are not a good thing. They all give authority over the church to somebody else. But really, what I'd like to see is the daily ministration because that shows me that you do love your neighbor and you were willing to love your neighbor through faith, hope, and charity and not force because that's what John the Baptist was preaching. So anyway, he goes on to say, we believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ and then it goes on, in his virgin birth, in his sinless life, in his miracles, in his carrying our sins on the cross, uh, in in uh, his body resurrected, in his ascension. It's all about his this, his that, the right hand of the Father, and his personal return to the power and glory. Okay, well, in that paragraph, nothing to do with you. It's all about him. But you say you believe in these things. What is this deity? If you looked up deity in the King James Bible, you won't even find the word deity in that Bible. And what is that word? It means a god or a goddess in a polytheistic religion. That's what a deity is. It it's actually has Latin origins of the word. And so, you know, it uh, it comes from deus. Uh, which you, you will find in Jerome's Bible, because Jerome translated the Bible into Latin. But the word that you would normally have in the Greek is theotis. Uh, or you could have deus uh, in the Greek. Uh, but but uh, theotas is an ecclesiastical Latin word. And so when they say the deity of Christ, they're just saying that Jesus Christ is God. They're believing that Jesus Christ is God. The problem is, is the word God, Paul says there are God's many. Who are those God's many? And and then they talk about there are God's, them that say they are God's. And what what does it mean? I mean, even in the Old Testament, you have the word God uh, that we see translated from Elohim. And that word God is also translated judges. Because that's what it means. It means ruling judge. In theos, theo, uh, theotes in the Greek, means a ruling judge. If you went into court, you would address the judge theotes. Because he's the judge of the court. He's the ruling judge. He's going to decide fact and law. He is the ruling judge of the court. Jesus even said, ye also are God's. Well, when you used to be able to sit on a jury and decide fact and law in the United States, in that sense, you are God's. Because you're deciding, you're the ruling judge. Deciding fact and law. And trying to keep order in your society. Because if you don't work at it, who will? <laughs> See, you know, when when the, the society of Israel had, saw bribes taking place, they knew there were bribes going on. The sons of Samuel were taking these bribes and doing injustice, not attending to the weightier matters because the sons of of Samuel were actually a part of the appeals courts of Jerusalem and of all of uh, Israel. 
which wasn't really a place. Israel was all over the place, but there was the place that we refer to as Israel back then, but it wasn't tied to the land. And this is going to be important later on when we talk about the old thing and the mistake they made. They started tying the jurisdiction to the land instead of to the living land, which was the people. And when you do that, you lose choice. When you lose choice, you lose liberty. When you lose liberty, then you're not following Romans 13. (laughs) But you probably don't know what Romans 13 means because you think it means what most of these churches are telling you it means. And I just tell you what the words actually say. You know, I, I don't, I don't change the definition of the words. I just show you the definition of the words in their concordances and show you what Paul is actually saying. And then I explain why he said it. But boy, people get all upset. But when you show them, I'm just showing you what it says. You know, that I'm showing you what's in the Bible, which you're telling me, according to this statement of belief, The Bible to be the inspired, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. So I look at the Bible as it was written, as it come down to us originally in the Greek. And I show you what those words meant. And people don't like that. Because I'm telling them what the truth is. And it doesn't fit into their theology. It doesn't fit into what they want to believe. Because the first thing they'd have to do is admit that what they thought was right was wrong. And then they would have to think a different way. That's called repentance. Because that's what repentance means. It means thinking a different way. But you don't know how uh, freeing that can be once you realize that. You just need to think a different way. So anyway... uh, they they talk about this deity uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ and as a God. But Paul says there are God's many, so evidently there's deity of a lot. But he they're saying they believe in Jesus as the Lord and anointed king. Because you believe like we see in the epistles, there is another king, one Jesus. But their king is not Jesus. Their daily ministration is not provided through faith, hope, and charity. They don't take care of the widows and orphans practicing pure religion unspotted by the world of Pontius Pilate or Popat or Mao Zedong or Adolf Hitler or Trump or whoever. I can just try to think of it. You know, the Queen of England. Your daily ministration is provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. Even though Christ said it was not to be that way with you. He said that in that inerrant Bible. It is not to be that way with you, but it is. You know, I know one of the the ministers at that campground, and actually I know his brothers, and, and they were begging their father, who is also a minister, to apply for Social Security, even though he didn't need it. He was over 70, 72, I think, over 72. Because he could take that money and take vacations and everything. But there is no money to take. It's bankrupt. It's been bankrupt. It's not a new thing that Social Security is bankrupt. It's It's been bankrupt since day one. 
<laughs> it's never had uh, sufficient funds to provide any benefits. Never, ever did it have any sufficient amount of funds in uh, Social Security to provide you with any benefits uh, 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 at all. Now, people say, well, that's ridiculous. It was solvent and solvent. And, uh, no, because there is no division of funds, which was ruled from the beginning. If the government is in operating in the red, then you have to weigh that against whatever goes into Social Security. The, the reason they started Social Security is to create collateral so that they could fund the rest of the government. What's the collateral? It's you and your children and your children's children for generation upon generation. That's the way it was written up. Because you don't read that. You don't, you just, you just want to go and believe what you want to believe. You don't really want to know the truth. But that's why it was created to create more collateral. Because the Federal Reserve wasn't going to loan any more money because you were out of assets. So they needed more assets. You're it. <laughs> You're the asset. You're a surety for debt. Exactly what the Bible said would happen because of your covetous practices. Because you didn't want to live by faith, hope, and charity. You wanted to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare through men who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors but only give you what they take away from others. And now they're taking away from your unborn children. Wow. And you've you've all done this why you're telling me that you believe in Christ. Even though Christ said not to believe that. He goes on to say, we believe all mankind has been created in good, in God's image, but that all have sinned and are eternally condemned and lost because of sin. Well, we might have to look at a few of those words, but in essence, I can, I can go along with that, but I would like to, with, reservation without prejudice like to define what is sin (laughs) but we'll do it at another time we believe that eternal salvation is the gift of god absolutely offered by grace absolutely to those who in repentance that changing of the mind place their faith in the lord jesus christ and not in the federal reserve oh they didn't add i added the federal reserve part not in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Constitutional Party (laughs) or whatever, you know, Trudeau or whoever you place your faith in. You know, vaccines. I I talked about that. I actually put together a thought for the day. I haven't sent it out yet. But uh, this whole idea that people want to believe that vaccines will save them. No, they won't. (laughs) I mean, they have their place. But uh, it's, you know, I mean, so does chocolate and and ice cream have their place. You eat too much, it's bad for you. <laughs> and too much is not really that much. And so, one or two vaccines may be okay. I'm not. I'm just going to leave it up to your individual choice. But uh, 76 vaccines, probably not a good idea. Plus, you know, hundreds of boosters, probably not a good idea. <laughs> and I explain that in other places. It says, we believe in the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. I also agree with that. 
but I might have to define what the Holy Spirit is, and we may have to identify the Holy Spirit, because there's a lot of spirits that are dwelling in people that are really not the Holy Spirit, which is what a lot of the epistles are talking about, how you detect, is this the Holy Spirit, is it not the Holy Spirit? Well, what's the fruit? What, what's coming from it? Because what's come from the Spirit that is dwelling in you, uh, you know, I'm speaking you in a general sense of all the world, is debt, bondage, uh, you know, the bondage of Egypt. I mean, in bondage of Egypt, one-fifth of everything you produced there in a given year belonged to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. Uh, somebody posted something. Uh, they says, well, this is the taxes in your socialist Europe. And, you know, most of the taxes were around 40 or 50 percent. Plus, they had uh, sales taxes of uh, 17 to 20 some odd percent. In some places, uh, on certain items, there's actually a 150 percent sales tax. So if you're going to buy a $10,000 car, it's going to cost you $25,000 because there's going to be <laughs> sales tax in the amount of $15,000 on a $10,000 car. If you're buying a $50,000 car, well, then it's going to be, you know, over $150,000 because you have to pay $150,000. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, did I do that math right? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to pay a lot. I mean, basically, it comes down to a lot. So, uh, the fact is, I, well, when I looked at that little thing, it showed several countries, about four or five countries. I thought, well, they don't even have Sweden. They don't have France. Well, I could tell you what the taxes are in some of those places. Um, you would be astounded. But it's far worse than the bondage of Egypt. Just put it down to that. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's that's where you have gone with your false religion, your fake fake statements of faith. Because you don't actually know what you're talking about. You're saying, you know, the, the, the certain things, but it, that isn't the Holy Spirit that is allowing you to covet your neighbor's goods. Uh, it goes on to indwell in the believers to convict, enlighten, sanctify, uh, sanctify, gift, empower, and guide them in life and service. Well, I look out on the world today, I don't think people are being guided by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of spirit out there that is the spirit of covetousness, the spirit of greed, the spirit of sloth. Sloth shall be under tribute. The whole world's under tribute today. Nobody is truly living by faith, hope, and charity. Every, you know, generally speaking, as people go. They're not living, they're, they're living by force, fear, debt, compliance, and all things that were preached against in the Bible from the beginning to the end. And if you go look up the word curse, which is mentioned many, many, many times in the Bible, everybody is cursed and condemned by their deeds. So they tell me they believe, but their deeds tell me otherwise. They are actually workers of iniquity because they're they're saying, yeah, go take these free benefits even though that runs the country more and more in debt because the money isn't actually there. They don't want to hear it because they already get a good feeling from what they say they believe. That's what they're really after is that good feeling, that feeling of being saved. And I come along and say, no, 
You're not. You're not actually saved. You're not actually doing what Jesus said. You're not actually following the Bible. You know. And Jesus warns that if you're one of those workers of iniquity, you know, get ye from me. I know you're not. So anyway, he goes on to say, we believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. Now, that's kind of unique. I didn't know everybody believed in that. But anyway, that's fine if they want to believe in that. It's not a big thing in the Bible. And I'm sure how that makes them followers of Christ. They that are saved to eternal life with God and they that are lost to eternal punishment separated from God. So that's an explanation of that. And uh, we believe that uh, the church is composed of persons. Now, I'm sure some people are out there saying, well, I believe that. You mean you don't believe that, Brother Gregory? Well, you know, I, you know, there's so much open to interpretation there that I'm, I'm not going to, you know, if Christ didn't say it, why do I have to believe it? Because he didn't say that specifically. That's something that people kind of construct by taking bits and pieces here and there. I know that Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself. I know that he commanded his church to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I don't see any of these people doing that. He commanded that they were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercised authority one over the other. I don't see them following that. Uh, He said we weren't to covet. I don't see people following that because I see them coveting. I don't see them practicing the pure religion James was talking about. And certainly we see the early church doing. I don't see them doing that. So that, you know, that's to me, that's more in line with a good statement of faith. But anyway, he says, we believe that the church is composed of the persons who through saving faith in Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, yeah, okay, have been made alive by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit has to enter into them and guide them. And are united together in the body of Christ of which he is head. Yeah, okay. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like the tens, hundreds, and thousands and a group of people who are providing the services of government through faith, hope, and charity and not force, fear, violence, and compelled taxes. We don't do that. If you owe the tax because of what you've already done, you have to pay the tax. But you need to be turning around and thinking a different way that, and start being more righteous in the way that you deal with your fellow man and, and with each other. Anyway, he goes on to say, we believe that, uh, Christ commanded the church to make his disciples, uh, to make disciples of all peoples and students of all people, teaching them what Christ actually was teaching by going into all the world Okay, that's that, that word there, I assume, is the word constitutional orders and systems of government because we are to be in that world, but not of that world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing doesn't mean just submersing in water. It means submersing in the name and character of the Father, which is the character of the Son, which is the character of the Holy Spirit. So that's what you should be submersing them in. And the water baptism is only a symbol 
of that submersion. Well, I see a lot of people getting dunked in water, but I don't see them being submersed in the Spirit of the Father that has come and the Son who came to set men free. I see the same people trying to bring one another into bondage and rule over one another through democracies and indirect democracies, etc., to get benefits to provide for themselves. And they aren't really operating by faith, hope, and charity. And he goes on, and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. Well, Christ commanded that we make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before they receive any loaves and fishes. But, of course, they don't need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because they get all their loaves and fishes from the men who exercise authority one over the other. In other words, the government. They don't take care of their widows and orphans. They don't take care of their parents. They don't take some money out of their pocket and give to their father to provide him an education uh, or or vacation or whatever. They want the government to provide that. And the government isn't taking money even from their neighbor anymore. They're borrowing money against their neighbor's children's future. And they said, yeah, but it's available. You paid in. Well, you know, that's not a good excuse. Anyway, it goes on. Uh, they did look like they added a footnote here that we believe in the term marriage has one meaning. The unity of one man and one woman. Well, we could go into that. And I noticed that in 2014, I think it was, I did a number of audios on marriage and matrimony. <laughs> And they could go listen to that because they are not entering into a marriage with one man and one woman. They're entering into a marriage contract with one man, one woman, and one government. But that's another story. But anyway, we're going to go on to the old thing. And then we're going to tie all this in with the kingdom of God when we return to the keys of the kingdom in a moment. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we looked at a little statement of faith there in the last show that uh, should kind of shake somebody up. <laughs> Maybe I'll send that on to some of the people so that they can. Uh, and, of course, you can do that. You can go to our website, uh, hisholychurch.org. You can also go to the website preparingyou.com and preparingyou.com. And uh, we have all kinds of audios there. Uh, Keys of the Kingdom has all kinds of audios that uh, many of them are the same audios, but we have them in more than one location. Uh, you can look up Keys of the Kingdom for podcasts and start hearing the audios that way. And um, But you can only hear so many if you look for the podcasts. And the, most all of them are listed at Preparing You. And so you can go down and look. Uh, each year and look for different subject matters and hear audios on those subject matters. And uh, interlaced in many of these broadcasts, I drop little pieces of information that most people don't know, and that's probably what we're going to be doing now when we're looking at all thing. And the all thing, like I said, is the Icelandic Albinji. Uh, I'm not even sure how you pronounce it. I probably couldn't pronounce it if uh, I was listening to an Icelander say it. But uh, it's uh, uh means an assembly field, kind of. That's basically what it was. And it was founded around 930 A.D. 
it's it's a little spot on the island where they would gather together and they would meet and talk about how to govern themselves as a people. And this was important because of the fact that a lot of times things happen that are too big for one family to handle, so it needs more than one family. Well, maybe you have a couple of neighbors, but sometimes it takes hundreds of families, maybe thousands of families. And so how do you get together and interact with one another? And we usually call that way in which you get together and interact government. Well, there's the governments of the world, and there, and there, there is the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the spirit of God dwelleth in it, and it dwells in that spirit. But uh, in the kingdoms of the world, that's not necessarily the case. Other spirits may enter in and guide the people. And so some more than others, and so some governments you'll find elements of the spirit of God dwelling in it. And other governments, you'll find no spirit of God dwelling in it, (laughs) or little of none. And you have disasters, you know, where millions upon millions of people perish or they're put into bondage. So you can pretty much tell if a government is of God by how free the people are. And Americans love to think of themselves as a free people, yet we just said in the previous show, showing you, that in the United States, they are less free than they were in Egypt. Because only one-fifth, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. And that was pretty much it. Through crafts of state, this increased. And one of the ways they, they can increase is sales tax. And uh, so, I mean, in, in, if you went to Egypt under Mubarak, the income tax was 20%. Still, you know, Thousands of years after <laughs> Moses and Joseph, is still income tax was 20% of what you earned went to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. And that's the way it was still in Egypt under Mubarak. You can make a million dollars, 20%. You can make a half a million dollars, 20%. You can make way less than that. It was still 20%, although they made allowances for really poor people because that may mean the difference between eating and not eating if you're really poor. But uh, graduated income tax, where the more you make, the more you have to pay in percentage, the percentage goes up. That's not, that's, that's, they weren't doing that at one time in Egypt. But through crafts of state, like sales tax, you could end up paying a lot more. And sales tax usually hurts the poor more than anybody else. If, you know, if you're going to want to buy a car and you have to pay 150 percent you know everybody says oh look at holland they all ride around on bicycles and of course it's a little tiny country so you can get a lot of places but if you want to have a private car you may have to pay quite a bit for it and the gas is going to be more and maintenance is going to be more and your your annual use sticker is going to be more and so their bondage is way worse than 20% because they're paying all these other things like sales tax. And and then, of course, there's toll roads and all those kinds of things, too, that are all just taxes. And uh, so anyway, in, in the United States, you know, most people pay 20 30% in income tax. And then in some states, they'll pay anywhere between 3 and 9 or I think some of them are actually going into double-digit sales tax like they do in Europe all over. 
And so that's another tax. And then, of course, everything you buy in the store is the price that it is because the people who produced it were taxed and taxed and taxed. So you're literally taxing everything more than once. You know, I mean, if you buy a box of cereal for $2 in the store, there was road taxes for the grain. There was road taxes for the finished product. There were labor taxes on and on so it just drives the price up so you're paying double tax in many many different ways so you're in a bondage worse than that of Egypt that's well established it's the same is true in Iceland today but when people first came to Iceland there was no tax (laughs) and now the first people who came to Iceland were probably not the Scandinavian countries it was probably the Irish uh, they talk about Irish monk settlements being in Iceland uh, when the Scandinavians arrived. Well, they talk about Irish monks. Well, it was just a bunch of bachelors out there, you know, because they were Catholic, weren't they? Well, they were Irish monks. They weren't necessarily Catholic Irish monks. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, the the Vatican really wasn't, you know, the Vatican was around for a long time, but uh, it really didn't get, going until around 800, 900 uh, A.D., and then its influence started growing. And uh, But the, the monks, you know, there were monks who were evidently coming all the way to Iceland, to Greenland, all the way across to Nova Scotia, and all over America. And they were traveling around, and they were creating settlements. Um, uh Brandon the Navigator, uh, just for one. And he was an Irish monk. And so, and, and it is a common consensus that they weren't all married, but it really, if you look into history, a, a lot of them were married. <laughs> they were married and had many, many children. I mean, popes used to have kids running around all over the place. They were married. What we call popes. I mean, even the term pope didn't get applied to the bishops of Rome until way later, the early, uh, who we know were bishops of Rome, were not called Pope. As a matter of fact, the first one who was offered that title was a someone we call Pope Gregory, but he actually said he wouldn't take the title uh, because of the fact that uh, uh, anybody who took that title would be uh, going against God. Uh, because it's taking the title. Popa means father. And it's just called no man father. And of course what, and if you go read an article on that, you'll know that I'm not just talking about the Pope. That's actually a title of, uh, ruler and government. And so, but if you don't understand these things, when you read the inerrant word of God, the Bible, you're not going to understand it and you will be in error, even though you got it from the inerrant word of God. So, like I said, okay, the Bible is correct. Translators are not all inerrant because that's why you have so many different ones. And even if you, you know, I use the King James all the time, but just for consistency. But the reality is it wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. So if you, if they're translating four or five different Greek words the same or or translating uh, uh you know, one Greek word into five, ten, fifteen different ways, you're going to be able to slip in some 
confusion there. So you might want to refer back to the Greek from time to time just to make sure you understand what the original inerrant authors were trying to tell you. But anyway, so there were Irish monks there when they arrived, and actually they've recently found a lot of settlements and looking at DNA that there were a lot of Irish there, not just a couple of monks, and they were living on this island. Well, nobody even hardly knew the island was there, yet they probably knew it was there way back in 300 A.D., 400 A.D. But uh, a lot of people, it's a pretty good-sized island. The guys who started discovering it around 900... Uh, I think in 800-something, some guys discovered it. They were actually probably trying to go to the Faroe Islands and uh, were blown off course and, and saw it. Now, you have to remember, there's like 400 miles between uh, these islands and the mainland. These guys are out there in little tiny boats sailing around. And, you know, hundreds of miles to any land, you're not going to spot the island <laughs> unless you're closer uh, even the even the mountains won't be visible. Uh, so that's pretty gutsy guys, you know. They're not gonna they're not cruising around on their yacht. They're uh, they're out there rowing and sailing in these boats they made by hand, and they have to live out there. So just the fact that you find somebody out there sailing around that's a huge thing back then. But uh, they found the island and they went all the way around it and kind of mapped the coastline and so they knew it was an island and then they sailed off to the Faroe Islands and eventually people came there and they made an agreement with some of the Irish people so that they got together the the Christians these Irish Christians and uh and chieftains because uh, usually if you had a big boat like that you were already a chief you're already wealthy and you have a crew you know, this isn't just somebody out in a rowboat. And so that takes a certain amount of wealth to put that expedition together. And they were doing it for reasons, a lot of different reasons. At that particular time, uh, you know, the Brits were putting up much more of a resistance. There was much more population. Uh, another reason that people were leaving the Scandinavian countries is because of people like uh, Harold Halfogger, uh, who, according to my grandmother, is a distant relative. Uh, was taxing the people more, and so is and so people were looking uh, for other places to go and be and settle and build up their own societies. So they were looking for freedom, much like when people discovered America. And so they got there and they made an agreement with the existing inhabitants and uh, at at this all things uh, about nine ninety nine or around the year one thousand. And, uh, they, I guess they really, one of the first meetings was in 930, but, uh, they started coming to it, you know, uh, as more and more people came, they decided to come to some kind of an agreement. And one of the things that they came to agreement on is this concept of a commonwealth. And, and that, that phrase is thrown around a lot and people don't really understand it, but, uh, they, uh, uh, this whole thing was like their original legislature. It wasn't really making laws that everybody had to obey, like when we make, uh, you know, people in the United States or, you know, the parliament in Canada or England make laws. 
it was a little bit different. They would they would come to an agreement as to what they considered to be just right and fair, but law was actually in the hands of the private individual. The enforcement of that law was still in the hands of the private individual. So even though they say we should do it this way, people have to decide whether or not they were going to, you know, enforce that. And to enforce any kind of law, there had to be an injured party. Uh, David Friedman uh, says that the Commonwealth uh, uh, might well have been invented by a mad economist to test the length to which market systems could supplant government in its most fundamental functions. So, again, some of these people were there because they were trying to get away from the taxation of people like Harold Fogger and others who were following down that way. There was a great shift taking place about a thousand years after Christ in the world. Uh, that's where we see Philip de Bullion and and Stephen and Martin and all these guys rising up to become kings and starting to tax the people. For a thousand years that wasn't taking place. But then all of a sudden it all started taking place around this period of time. And immediately people started looking for somewhere else to be. <laughs> and so somebody had discovered Iceland and they said, so let's let's go out there and see if we can't survive out in Iceland. So anyway, he says, killing was a civil offense resulting in a fine paid to the survivors of the victim. In other words, if you killed my brother, you owe me because you have taken away an asset of my family. If you kill my son, if you kill my daughter, if you kill my father, you've injured my family. So uh, murder wasn't a capital offense of the whole nation, although in, in one sense it is. It was a capital offense on a family. And so, therefore, the survivors of that family is who you owe recompense to. Not like the... I mean, we've gone so far away from such a basic idea. It's now somebody steals a $1,000 and you put them in jail for two years, which costs the taxpayers $100,000. And then we call that paying our debt to society. We are so screwed up in our thinking. We do not understand... You know, I mean, our criminal justice system is just a criminal system. <laughs> There's no justice in it. it. But a lot of people will take offense at that. But, you know, let's sit down and talk about it, think about it. But anyway, back in this commonwealth, killing was a civil offense. It was an offense, when he says civil offense, this is his words, offense against an individual, you know, damages. Uh, laws were made by the parliament or this all thing. But enforcement of the law was entirely a private affair. I'm still quoting here. And yet these extraordinary institutions survived for over 300 years. And the society in which they survived appears to have been in many ways an attractive one. Its citizens were, by medieval standards, free uh, differences in status uh, so they were free, they had differences in status based on rank or sex, were relatively small. And its literary output in relation to its size has been compared to with some uh, as that equal to Athens. Although we don't hear a lot about that. 
The point is, is Iceland being this isolated island growing up from an ancient time with not a lot of external influence. I mean, they're the ones who just arrested all the bankers and threw them out, <laughs> threw them out of the country. They actually put the, their Federal Reserve bankers into jail. <laughs> so, <laughs> because they have a little bit different way of looking at things. And sometimes, you know, that's one of the things about traveling around and seeing other people and meet everybody. You know, when I used to travel on a bus to go around and preach the kingdom, I said there was a there was a tragic story in every seat. I mean, it was, uh, but yet everybody is a story. Everybody is a movie. Everybody is an epic adventure. Their life is. Some of them are rather tragic. Some of them are sometimes humorous. But uh, the reality is each of us is a fascinating story and worth hearing and listening to because you learn from that. And so in Iceland, they have a different way of looking at things. And that is sometimes good to have a little bit different way of looking at things, walking around the elephant, as it were, so that you see things from a different point of view. So the reason we're kind of looking at this is because it was requested of me. And then the other reason is because it's another way to approach the idea of the kingdom. One of the things that they agreed to in this uh, uh, whole thing was they agreed to a tithe. Now, the tithe was supposedly... Now, some will tell you... Now, when you're reading historians, you have to realize that historians are writing from their point of view in history, where they are at at a given time. But you have to put yourself back in the shoes of these people, where all law, even though they're making laws in this whole thing, in their parliament, the enforcement of it is required by you. So they can make a law that we all have to wear polka dot underwear, and nobody does it. (laughs) And there's no enforcement, because nobody's going around and checking to see if you had polka dotted underwear. Um, So... That's a different thing than what we have today. That if somebody makes a law, you know, Ocasio-Cortez makes a law, gets a law passed, everybody in America has to obey it. You know, if they decide that nobody can own a gun anymore, then then now you the government will come to enforce that. Didn't have you were the government. You were the fourth branch of government in Iceland. It was your responsibility to enforce whatever they thought was just right and fair. So anyway, they said there was a tithe uh, and that it needed to be paid. and But they made it geographical instead of, you know, the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, they already had the tens, hundreds, and thousands. If you go back in history, people had that all over Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years. For centuries, people were organizing themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Switzerland, uh, the, you know, the different valleys in France, the Gauls were doing it before the Roman, you know, before Caesar even showed up. So it's an ancient form of gathering societies together. So they already had this tithe. Tithe is a tenth. You share, you know, ten families get together and they share a portion of their wealth through a network of people. You pick a minister, you give it to him. And then he uses that to help other people round about you, like the red heifer sacrifice. If you don't understand that, go read that. Uh, you, you're doing this, and you bind people together through love. 
Because that sacrifice is charity. That's how you take care of the needy of your society, through charity. So that's what the tithe was all about, because you were gathered in tens. Okay, but they made it supposedly compulsory, of course, then who enforces it? And they connected it to territorial. And one of the reasons why, uh, undoubtedly, is because of the fact that they were living on different parts of the island. And so they became possessive of their part of the island instead of making it so that the tithe was given to the man of your choice, the man you thought was the most uh, charitable man and and service-oriented man in your community. So ten families would get together and give to him, and he would gather with nine other men like himself, and they would give to him. It wasn't territorial. It's territorial in the sense that it was personable. Your territory, your walking, breathing dirt. You're from dust. You come and dust you shall return. But you're a living territory. You're a living stone or a living altar of earth. Go read our article on altars. Altars of stone were gatherings of men. And those men were friends to you and to your community. And you tithed to them. You gave them your sacrifice. You didn't burn up sheep on a pile of rocks. Like most of these people with their... uh their phony, <laughs> I shouldn't be too hard on them, their statements of faith, they don't understand the inerrant Bible because they don't understand the meaning of words. And they, but they listen, they love, that was another, somebody sent me another video I listened to about 60 seconds of it and I closed it <laughs> because it was saying great swelling words. But delivering people into bondage because they're not actually dealing with the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Yeah, but most people don't want to know the truth because the truth will also show you that you're wrong about what you believed before. So anyway, so they eventually because the tax was, the tithe was territorial, it became like a tax. It was still called a tithe, but it was like a tax. And it caused certain chiefs to become more powerful and uh, more coercive because they would make sure that tithes were paid. And so now it's taxation, not voluntary contributions. Not like John the Baptist said, he wasn't going to do it by force. He was going to do it through charity. Well, Christ said to do it through charity. You know, Caesar said do it through force. Now, long before Caesar, Romans, Romans did it through charity. And the the more charitable you were, the higher people looked at you. But law was enforced by the individuals. It wasn't enforced by some corporate government. You were that fourth branch of government. So when once the tide became territorial, then things became unbalanced, and there were they even say uh, coerced or bribed other chiefs to transfer their tithe collecting rights to this guy or that guy. And so the, they started forming these mini-states and mini-states broke out into open conflict. Uh, many M-I-N-I states broke out into open conflict. Crisis that was finally resolved only then that uh, when the Icelanders exhausted 
by civil war invited a King Hekon from Norway to kind of bring order. Now, there was an island off the coast of Ireland. I mentioned Brendan, the navigator, who went all the way to America and uh, and went all the way back to Ireland. And they had a settlement in America. And uh, this was 400 A.D. And he wrote about his adventures and everything. You can read the Chronicles. I mean, they're originally written in Latin, but there's lots of translations around. And anyway, he became... Uh, a guy on an island, I can't remember the name of the island right offhand, uh, off the coast of Ireland. And, but the people kept feuding. These many states broke out in these different groups and they're feuding and fighting and finally he left. Well, a few years later, the people got together when they were exhausted from <laughs> feuding and they said, please come back and teach us the way of the kingdom. And he did and they was peace on the island and they, they learned how to live together because that's what the Bible's about, how to live together without killing one another and attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. We'll be right back. Okay, so we we see how these uh, uh, divisions start coming into a society when you do things slightly different. Uh, it really isn't slightly. It's quite different, but it seems like it's a small change. And, you know, I see the same thing in, in the Swedish culture and a number of other different groups uh, throughout history. You see this over and over again where they, you know, they, they're uh, hardy people that work hard and take care of one another. They have to because life is difficult. Can you imagine if you're crossing uh, the ocean from Norway <laughs> and uh, you're going hundreds and hundreds of miles and you're blown off course and you end up finding this Iceland and then you navigate all the way around it. You take the time to navigate all the way around it because you know it's not the islands you were looking for, uh, which was the Faroe Islands. And you're actually about 400, 425, 50 miles away. But you take the time to sail all the way around Iceland <laughs> and then head off looking for... uh you know, where you really want to go, which is the Faroe Islands. And evidently you made it because people knew about your adventures at Iceland. <laughs> so you could report that. But this is, this is amazing feats of uh, physical and, and navigational prowess that is taking place way back in the 800s. And, uh, by small groups of men who are smart, hardworking, and loyal to one another. And uh, risk their lives on a daily basis. I mean, you've ever been to sea in a small boat? <laughs> uh, water, water everywhere. <laughs> Not a drop to drink. That's amazing. Uh, the feats that they do. Now, the, the paintings show a really small boat, which is not much more than a rowboat. But, uh, you know, and I've talked to you before about the sparrow. Go look up the sparrow. Early American settlers, the guys who came over in the Sparrow, they still have parts of the Sparrow left. It isn't much more than a rowboat. They came all the way from England in the boat called the Sparrow and almost died except for the fact that everybody else eventually helped. Not everybody. The Indians weren't helping them much. But others came to their aid because they were ill-prepared for what they were doing. Well, these guys were evidently pretty amazing guys. But that's 800, 900. Now they got 
1,000, they're forming the old thing, which is making laws, or at least agreeing upon what they think is law, but the law still must be enforced by the individual. But now we get into 1,100, and a guy shows up on the scene, Gumundur Arason. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But anyway, he's Icelander. And he's of the church. But now the church has also morphed a little bit. Not only the way in which they used to operate and the tens, hundreds, and thousands has morphed. Uh, and now they have this old thing council. Now in the tens, hundreds, and thousands they had councils as well. But they weren't making laws. They might be discussing law, trying to figure out how to deal with the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But they're not passing statutory laws. They are agreeing, oh, we're going to do this this way. And everybody agrees because it makes us more organized. But it's not about, you know, being put in jail if you don't agree or being fined if you don't agree. You had to damage somebody in order to be fined. And again, back that violation of the law was a civil matter. There was no offending the king because there was no king. But like I said, they got to a point where they eventually invited a king, uh, Hekon of Norway, to govern them and bringing the free state period to a close. So they weren't a free state anymore. And uh, But if we go back to 1161, Gunder Erson saw this consolidation of power because of the tithing and... Uh, tried to do something about it. He actually stood up against the chieftains who were centralizing the authority and uh, distinguishing himself as one who uh, was devoted most of the time to attending to the needy of the country. Because that's what that's what uh, being a clergy was. It was to take care of the needy of society and people wanted to tie to him instead of geographically to the lord of the manor. But they had already kind of screwed things up a little bit. But he was he was a big believer in the fact that the church could not depend for its wealth upon this forced tithe or tax. And those of you who have read the Free Church Report, see on the cover of the Free Church Report is Lady Godiva. Because Lady Godiva... Fully dressed. <laughs> Which artists don't seem to like to paint her fully dressed. Because she never took off her clothes and rode through the town naked. But what she did was she opposed the idea of forced tithe. Taxing the people to take care of the poor. They, she knew that that was going to be destructive to society. We had to take care of the poor through charity. Alone. Not through taxes. There's a fundamental difference between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. That's why John the Baptist, when everybody else was using force, was saying, we're going to take care of one another through charity. If you have extra coat, you have extra food, you have extra housing, you share. I mean, they're trying to pass a law, or have been in Sweden, where if you own two homes, you have to give up one of them for the immigrants. You have to give it up. You have to turn it over to the immigrants because you can't own two homes. I mean, like you've got a cabin on a on an island that you go to 
and then you have a, ta- a, a, a house in town where you work, and because you're off a couple of months out of the year, because of the fact that maybe you're a teacher, you have this cabin out on an island. Well, you can't have both. That's what they want to make a law where you can't have both. Even though that t- cabin, you've slowly built it up because that's going to be your retirement. Can't have both. Uh, that's how crazy it gets. Uh, that they're going to take it away from you. And it, it's people like Bernie, who has three homes, that would come up with crazy ideas like that. Because they believe in taking away from their neighbor to bribe, provide welfare for others. But they're chieftains. They got lots of money. And I explained in one of the last shows why he has so much money. It's not because he wrote a book. It's because he ran for president. And in the midst of collecting millions of dollars for his campaign... He suddenly stopped running for president. <laughs> he didn't have to give all that money back. But anyway, so uh, uh, that's his money. He gets to do, and it's tax free until he withdraws it. I, it may even be tax free after he withdraws it. I don't know, but as long as it's in that account, he didn't have to pay any taxes on it. Maybe millions and millions of dollars. He could certainly borrow money against it because it's sitting there. But anyway. Uh, and buy his three homes with it. So anyway, so the King uh, Hakon the fourth uh, or sixth, I think it was, uh, he didn't show up till 1343. So they were still trying to resolve these issues back in 1161 under who became known as Goodman the Good, and he was trying to decentralize this power of government. But unless you went back to the tens, hundreds, and thousands and tithe to the minister of your choice, if you tied your tithe to geographical location, then you were in trouble. Which is one of the reasons why Christ is warning you the kingdom of heaven is not a place. It's a way. And that way is the choice has to be with the individual. There are persons, which we saw in that previous uh, statement, in the church because that's what Christ was appointing is the officehood of the church. But it cannot exercise authority one over the other. So if you're in a system where somebody gets to force your offerings to take care of the needy of society, you're not in the kingdom of God. It's a different spirit that has led you in that way. In the one article I read, it says, when the Icelandic submitted to the authority of the Norwegian king, under the terms of the Old Covenant, which is Gamli Satamali, in 1262, the function of the old thing changed. The old thing was that legislature. It was a legislature that did not make laws that you had to obey. It simply made a statement, what they called, uh, they actually had a term, for the the guy, I was trying to think of what that was, if I can remember what it was. <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, law speaker. They called it a law speaker. So they would all sit down and discuss what they thought was just right and fair. And then somebody would put it into words that, okay, we agree that this is fair. And everybody agrees. But, of course, there will be exceptions because it's enforced by the individual. One of the things about a system where the law is enforceable by the individual as a civil matter, and we used to have that somewhat in America. You know, somebody robs you or, or injures you in some way, they, they would say, okay, uh, do you want to press charges? 
And you say, no, I don't want to press charges. Well, okay, then he gets off. And he broke the law. He caused an injury, but you don't want to press charges. So he, But you have to sign a deal that says, I'm swearing out, you know, affidavit and pressing charges. Then the state takes over and presses those charges. Now, you you commit that crime. Even if you don't press charges, they can still charge you. They can still put you in jail. And then you have all these other little agreements like, you know, you have a driver's license, so therefore you can get tickets for going too fast. Because you have an agreement with them. You have a contract with them to abide by the laws of the state of Oregon. When you go in and take the jury oath, go read our, our, our you know, I came across a recording on jury. I should probably make sure that gets on our jury page. That they ask you to take an oath that you're going to decide according to the laws of the state of Oregon or the state of New Hampshire or whatever. When you take that oath, you waive your right to decide fact and law because you just said, we're going to decide this according to the way the legislature decided it. So now that's the role of the legislature to decide fact and law. To be the ruling judge. And now you have the Supreme Court deciding to be the decider of what is good and what is evil. All this is because you've gone so far away from the kingdom. You can't just jump back to that. You have to learn the ways of the kingdom. You need kingdom sense. A kingdom common sense. And in order to do that, you need to practice pure religion. If you're going to practice pure religion, if you're going to actually follow Christ, you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as Christ commanded his disciples to make the people do, which is right there in that inerrant Bible that this statement of faith is supposedly talking about. <laughs> but they don't do it. Wait a minute, if it's inerrant and it said that you had to do this before you received any loaves and fishes, and later on we see the apostles working daily in the government temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, we have to assume that those houses were already sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is what they usually did when they had these gatherings in the fields. There were two major Gatherings. There were a number of gatherings, but there were two major gatherings where they would do this. One was Pentecost, which was that 50 days after Passover. And the other one was the Feast of Tabernacles. They would sit down and learn what it was to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They would build that network, voluntary network, of ten families, pick a minister, ten ministers, pick another minister. Now you have a network. Now you can rightly divide the bread from house to house. And it's not an unending, impossible task. It's a very possible task. Because you know who really needs bread in your ten-man congregation. And you learn to build trust amongst each other. If you're not doing that, you haven't really repented. And you're not really following the inerrant Bible. <laughs> nor Christ, because you're not doing what he commanded. Because it says he commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in that pattern before they were going to receive any of those rightly divided bread from house to house or from family to family. So, when we see the Icelanders getting away from that principle and moving to a tithe based on geography rather than living geography, which is the people, they were headed for trouble. It created all this turmoil and civil war and, and 
what had been an equal society, a reasonably equal society. I mean, there were wealthy people in that society, but the wealth was spread amongst the community much better, much more equally. But as soon as they started creating a system of ties that were supposedly compulsory, which is what we call taxes, things became uneven. And men became, power became uneven. And that power was centralized. Well, uh, Goodman the Good was trying to war against that or stand against that. And he, he, the people of Iceland declared him a saint, but the Catholic Church would not declare him a saint because it was complaining about the fact that he complained about the Vatican and some of the influences. This is way back in 1160. Well, what else was going on at that particular time? Well, if you went over to Ireland, you would find in around 1280, the Augustinians were coming in and they were spreading a different kind of Christianity. Now, this is, you know, in 1280, we're already 200 and some years after Lady Godiva said, no, we cannot tax the people to take care of the poor. It will change the nature of society. And so uh, he said, if you give up your wealth, I'll match the wealth that you have. Uh, who was she talking to? She was talking to her second husband. Her first husband had died. She was one of the wealthiest people in England. She was the only woman mentioned in the Doomsday Book as a property owner. And she became the patron saint. He, he, uh, she and her husband became the patron saint of builders and architects because they built hospitals, libraries, uh, uh, you know, institutions for the care of the poor and the needy of society, all supported by free will offerings, not by taxes. That's what would make Ireland great again. That's what would make Iceland great again. That's what would make America great again. If we gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, tithe to men we trust. People said, you know, some people say they don't tithe because they don't see a need. Well, the the need is there, but until you give some bread, we can't distribute the bread from house to house. <laughs> the need is there, uh, but you need to you need to give because it's in the nature of the Christ to give. He was rich and made himself poor. And unless you do like he did, you can't be one of his disciples. You can't be one of his ministers. Boy, that would thin out the running for being a minister of the church really quick. But you would have to do that if you're going to follow the inerrant word of Christ and the Bible, which they're not doing they're actually saying, no, it's okay to take from your neighbor as long as you do it through governments of the world who exercise authority one over the other, even though that's directly contrary to what Christ said you could do. It's the absolute opposite of what Christ said you could do. Uh, you know, I could go into great detail the, the Augustinians. I mean, the, the change that you see taking place in the relationship of the church to the people and and the people to government was just phenomenal during this period. Up to 1394, uh, there was uh, an order held at Rimini 
And they were doing the same kind of thing. And it was just edging their way farther and farther from the kingdom principles, from the kingdom sense of Christ. And uh, there there was resistance. There was a Gaelic element that uh, came to the fore, not only because it reflected the general Gaelic resurgence, the whole country was experiencing in those years, but also because of the newly founded Western houses belonged to the observant movement. What's the observant movement? Uh, it had to do with reforms. Well, there, what they call reforms, well, th- there was reforms, but it was like two step forward, one step back. <laughs> but the forward was about the direction. If you're moving more to exercising authority over your neighbor, then you're not exercising love for your neighbor. If you're not sitting down in a voluntary network of faith, hope, and charity, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so you see, little bit by little bit, until people became accustomed to living at the expense of their neighbor and depending for their livelihood on the property of others and then they were changed they were altered and that's what we're going to talk about and how do we get altered back we have you know you go out and preach the kingdom to people and they just can't get it they're just bewildered they're just and, and you try to explain the tens hundreds and thousands and I, i've worked on a booklet for that but the reality is i don't know if you can put it in a booklet i mean it's really been a struggle you you can explain it till the cows come home and they won't get it because their mind is in the wrong place. There's no place in their mind for this Holy Spirit. Their mind is full of preconceived notions and doctrines and ideas. And it requires humility and sacrifice to get those ideas out of the way to make room for the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Peter, you will betray me. Three times you will betray me. He said, no, I won't do it. He had to just actually devastate Peter so that Peter would have enough humility and remorse to receive the Holy Spirit. He had to take him down quite a few notches so that he could receive the Holy Spirit. And then he had to be willing to come back to receive that Holy Spirit and be of service to others. This is about portals. About opening your mind up and and to another realm of thinking. This thing I call kingdom sense. And that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Is how do you open up the portals of your mind to receive the Holy Spirit? How do you make room in your heart and your mind for that Holy Spirit? Not the spirit of righteousness. Let's put it this way. Self-righteousness. The spirit of self-righteousness that people get for their correct doctrines. Which is their correct doctrines. Their private interpretations of this holy inerrant scripture. Which their interpretations are inerrant. You can only interpret the wisdom of the scriptures if the Holy Spirit has entered into you. And this is the problem is that there's a lot of pretty good people out there who've turned away from a lot of bad things. 
but they haven't put on the full armor of God, so they don't see the whole truth. And this is why Christ is talking about striving and seeking and persevering and being a doer of the word, laying down your life for my sake. Unless you do that, you cannot pick up a life more abundant. So you have to tithe. I don't care who you tithe to. You have to sacrifice daily. The the sacrifice of the Pharisees was done away with, but that was compelled sacrifices and taxation and Gabi and Molokai tax collectors going around and collecting your 10% and your 20% and your 30%. The whole world has gone after that way. Do you want to repent, think differently, and go back another way unless Iceland does, unless Sweden does, unless America does, unless Canada does, unless Australia does, unless South Africa, South America do? Did I get everybody? (laughs) The Faroe Islands do. I think they're on the Faroe Islands. What is it? Iceland, I don't think, has very many people on it. But yet, there it is, that independent little country. They they have a lot of things that they they see that other people don't see, but they it isn't what you see that other people don't see that will save you or condemn you. It's what you should see that you're not willing to see <laughs> that will get you into trouble. But anyway, we're coming to an end, but we'll talk about portals. How do you open your mind? How do you open those portals? Because when you do... Now you can see differently, but it's by the grace of God that you will see differently, by the grace of the Holy Spirit that comes to you. And that will be your only comfort, because right now you're in a lot of trouble. We'll see you then. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.